take your Bible tonight to Ruth, chapter number one, and I am going to set my timer because I know me well enough to know I need a timer. Before I preach tonight, I just want to say again, thank you for, uh, for caring for us, thank you for praying for us, thank you for supporting us. Uh, Brother Brock and Brother Sherry have gone out of their way to help us with our finances, and uh, that's, it's a, I can't tell you how much of a blessing that is, and uh, I feel like such a pain in the neck to them, <laughs> I really do, uh, but they have just done it uh, graciously, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for the years that the church has um, been so kind uh, clear back to Pastor Williams, I was thinking this morning, uh, the first time I preached here, and it amazed me that Brother Williams would let he, me stand in his pulpit. He didn't know me at all, and he, he gave me an opportunity to preach, and it just blew me away, and he was such a good friend. So I appreciate, church, all that you do and uh, what you are. I want to encourage you tonight to continue. Stay steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. I'd like to share a few thoughts tonight uh, from Ruth. Uh, This is actually a a very long and detailed message that I'm going to condense down the best that I can, but uh, even if we only get through one point, I think that you'll find some help in it, and it might just spur you on to do a further study for yourself. I'm aware that we're... uh, coming together for the purpose of missions, and I don't want to stray from that. I want that really to be uh, what we have our hearts and our minds focused on. You'll hear this said so many times, it's not original with me, but the really the heartbeat of the Lord is missions. The reason we exist as a church, as believers... The overarching reason, if I can say this, is that we would glorify God. But we glorify God because we are busy about trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we exist. Once we reach them with the gospel, it's our duty, as much as they'll allow us, to train them to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's encapsulated in Matthew chapter number 28 when he says that we're to teach them and baptize them. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I thought about that many years ago, and I thought, how could you possibly teach everything there is to know about the Lord Jesus Christ? Your job would never be done. And that's when I realized he didn't say, teach them everything there is to know. He said, teach them to observe The true definition of a disciple is someone who learns to be obedient to the Lord, whether it's the voice of the Spirit of God speaking and leading or the voice of God speaking and leading through the Word of God. A true disciple hears the voice of the Lord and responds to it. Be it for a stop or a go, that's a disciple. And in that case, we all become disciples and we're always growing. So our purpose is to reach people with the gospel and and train others to continue to pass the, as we say in Australia, pass the baton or the baton, as you say it in American, 
to the next generation. In Ruth, there are character traits that I find in the person of Ruth that I think are they're worthy in any aspect. This message could be applied to so many different areas of the Christian life, just the Christian life in general, if you like. And it could be applied in so many ways, but I want us to really zero in tonight on the subject of missions and, and what that means to us as individuals and as a church. Uh, you know, it's very important. I'm sorry for all the preliminary thoughts here, but it's very important to realize that uh, missions giving and, and how you go about it is very much an individual thing. But it's not going to work the way God intended it to work if it's not brought together in the, in the local church. God didn't intend for us to ride alone. He designed us to be united together. And when we unite together in a church for the purpose of the Lord, that's when we see God work things that are absolutely miraculous to us, not to Him, but to us. And that's what we want to see. And I've observed this through the years. A church that loses focus on missions and reaching people for Jesus Christ is a church that eventually will dwindle and die. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't have people in it. But the function that the Lord has for the church will dwindle and die, become very much like what he said in the book of Revelation, thou hast the name, but you're dead. We don't want to do that. And the only way that we can do that is to continue to do what the Lord told us to do and reach people with the, Lord, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's character traits that we find in people in the scriptures, and I'm going to single out Ruth tonight. And I want to start, uh, for the sake of time, I'd like to just start reading in verse number 6 of chapter number 1. And of course, we know the lead up to that is that uh, Naomi has lost her two sons, and then her... Her, her husband, excuse me, and her two sons, and she has two daughters-in-law, and uh, it says in verse number six, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the, uh, she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and with, uh, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judas. You see the image in your mind that uh, she's now risen up from where she had been living in Moab. And she's making her way over toward Israel. And uh, they're following along. In verse number 8, Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go. So at some point, maybe she's mulling this over as they walk and talk. And she considers what's before them and before her. And she stops, as it were, to say to them, Verse number 8, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. So she's, she's not being mean-spirited here. She's thinking about their well-being. She clearly loves her daughters-in-law. And uh, she's telling them, I, I, I want you to go back. There's really no life with me, but you may have a life. You have at least the possibility of a life if you go back to your own homes and you start fresh. Verse number 9, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So both daughters-in-law are determined to go, it seems at this point. Verse 11, and Naomi said, turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? 
Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Father, please help me tonight. There's so many thoughts that I want to share, and I know that they're not all needed tonight. I know that. So I really just need discernment and ask for the filling of the Spirit of God tonight. I pray also that you would fill uh, the, the, the hearers tonight. Uh, Lord, we don't want to waste your time. And what uh, my real heart's desire tonight is that your people would be edified, they'd grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, be made more like him. And I pray that you would have the preeminence tonight, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth, uh, Ruth displays in this book, if you're familiar with it at all, and I'm assuming that you're here on a Monday night, you probably know quite a bit or a fair amount about the Bible. Ruth displays a phenomenal character as a virtuous woman in this book. And God's work in Ruth is, it just shows the blessings that are afforded to those who are willing to yield to the work of God in their life. She's a remarkable individual. What I hope to do, again, is to draw out a few principles tonight, as many as we can in the time that we have, to apply this to our approach to the, to the, the concept of missions. And I know missions isn't a New Testament word. We use it to simplify a more complex and detailed subject. And so I want to draw our attention to this. And here's, I, I need you to do this for me tonight, because I know that as we consider some things, if we're not careful, we could look at... Uh, this message and say, well, is he implying then that uh, Boaz and Naomi are types of God? Well, the truth is Boaz is a type of the kinsman redeemer, but not a type of God the Father. Neither one of them are, and they both have their failures. But I want us to focus our attention tonight, not on these two people, but rather on Ruth. And I want you to look at how Ruth responds to all of the events that take place in her life. And again, we'll cover as much as we can. I think it's very important that we understand the heritage of Ruth. In Genesis 19 and verse number 37, we learn that she is born of a nation that was born of incest from Lot and his firstborn daughter. That's not a good start. Then in Numbers chapter 21, verse 29, and also in Jeremiah 48, 46, God calls the Moabite people the people of Chemosh, their false god. When you become identified with something, as, as, and when God says that, he's saying that's who you are fundamentally in your heart, fundamentally in your character. You're one of the people of Chemosh, wicked and vile and godless, God-haters, against the true and living God. Strike two. We learn in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1, and Numbers 31, verse 16, that the Moabites after Balak's failed attempt of having Balaam curse them, the only way they could work out how to bring a curse on the people of Israel was Balaam taught them to fornicate. 
to take what was pure and holy and turn it into just an act of pleasure and lasciviousness and licentiousness and to defile their bodies before the, the living God. And that was the kind of people that the Moabites are. We should take a lesson from that, and I'm not, not here to talk about, but we should take a lesson from that, that that's exactly what godless people do, is try to teach godly people to fornicate. Because they realize how wicked it is in the eyes of God. In Judges chapter number 3, verses 12 to 14, we read about the oppression of the Moabites against the Israelite people in the book of Judges during that time of a, a kingless reign. And so you have, their, you have four strikes against Ruth before she even is born. And I would say this about Ruth, as far as her heritage is concerned, Ruth had nothing in her favor that would indicate to us that God was going to use her. When you look at her life, you think that's a woman that's destined to be an absolute failure, to be an enemy of God, and be refused to be used by God. But in fact, we don't find that to be the case at all. What I appreciate about Ruth is that she doesn't use this and cite this as an excuse to not be used by God. She didn't look at her past and say, well, this is just who I am. Fundamentally, this is who I am. and So I couldn't possibly be used by God. But rather, she overcomes that, and she overcomes it by some character traits that I believe we need to have as believers. And I always marvel at the Old Testament believers without the indwelling Spirit of God permanently guiding them and teaching no scripture to go back to, and how much character they displayed that I think, I wish I had that in my life, and, and here I am, a new creature in Christ. There seems to be nothing about Ruth that God yet is still going to bless and use her tremendously. So with that in mind, I'd like you to look here at verse number 15. And we're going to read down to verse number 18. And the first thing that I want you to observe about her character tonight is her steadfast mindedness. Steadfast mindedness. Notice in verse number 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Think about, before we read on, think about what's happening here. Twice now, she's told Ruth to go home. And Ruth says, I'm not going home. And I don't understand Naomi in this context. Now, it's clear that Naomi and her family had a fair bit of influence over these two women that were willing to follow out of Moab into Israel uh, initially, but now here you just see there's something going on in the heart of Ruth, and she's willing to continue to follow, and yet here's Naomi continuing to try to discourage her from doing what would be a good thing. You know, you're going to have a lot of people in your life as a Christian, and in regard to missions, a lot of people who will come into your life and will try to discourage you from doing a good thing, discourage you from being a giver, an abundant giver. And they'll use all excuses, and we could list them off tonight, but you know what I mean. There's just so many reasons why people uh, sort of come along our side, and they, they feign that they're in, in our favor, and you can't do that, and why don't you not do that, and there's a better way, and you could do that later, and, and, and just discouraging you and I from doing something that would be good in the eyes of the Lord. We've got to be very careful of that. 
Maybe during this conference, somebody would have the Lord touch him there in their heart and would deal with them about the need of preachers, men, preachers to rise up and preach the gospel here in South Dakota, here in America, or across the globe. We have fewer missionaries now than we've had in many, 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 many decades. I'm telling you the problem that we have in Australia is we can't find men that are willing to stand up and say, I'll take the mantle and the baton, as I said before, and I'll go with it and I'll preach the gospel. Maybe this week somebody, and really that is very much, always in a, prayer, in a mission conference, my prayer is always first and foremost, God, touch somebody's heart, put somebody in the harvest field. But I guarantee if you do that, you're not going to be left alone, whether it's the devil or somebody in the flesh in the world that would come by your side and say, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to throw away your career? Why would you want to throw away your opportunity uh, to make some money? You can give. You can do this. You can do that. You can do another thing. You're so successful here. Why would God take you out of this successful thing and put you into that uh, ministry where you may not see anybody saved for decades at a time? Why would you do that? And I'm telling you, Ruth had the mentality to overcome that, and we're going to have to have it too. And so we read on in verse number 16, brother, there is no way I'm going to get this message done. I'll be lucky to finish point number one. We'll do, we'll do what we can. No, it's not your fault. I am notoriously long-winded. Verse number 16, and Ruth said this, look at this, entreat me not. You know what that's to say? You stop trying to talk me out of this. Stop begging me to do what I have set my heart and mind to do. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Wonderful uh, wedding passage, but actually having absolutely nothing to do with two people coming together in marriage. (laughs) Steadfastly minded, steadfast, firmly set, not wavering, minded, inclined, leaning toward, firmly set in how her mind is leaning. You know what I know about Ruth, she's not double-minded. She didn't think, you know, I, I could go and I could try and see how things go following with Naomi. If it doesn't work out, I'll just go back home. She's going to commit herself to an unmistakable no po- point of no return saying, Naomi, I'm going with you regardless of the outcome. Church, can I encourage you this week as you consider your missions and your missions giving and your missions going, your local outreach here, can I encourage you, exhort you, can I plead with you that you will will make a decision this week that there are some uncompromisable matters regarding missions. Uncompromisable, maybe you'll make a financial commitment and it might even frighten you to make that commitment and I don't know how you're going to go about your giving and it doesn't even matter. But you may make a commitment in your heart and then just steadfastly mind yourself, God, nothing will turn me from this commitment. I'm going to have hardship. I know it's going to come. I'm not turning. I'm not going to try missions giving and if it doesn't work out, then I'll just go back to the way things were. Don't do that. 
if God calls you and leads you, or, and, and there's so many ways in, in, the, in the book of Acts how people got into missions. In Acts 13, as we heard last night, God reached down through the local church and told them to tell these guys that they were called to missions. But you read through the book of Acts and you have a number of times where Paul just said, I'll take you, come with me. And they ended up in the ministry that way. I don't think I've ever seen that. The point is this, you may be led or called or chosen into ministry through this week. Can you just steadfastly mind yourself? I'm not turning back. Uh, I'm going to say this, and I feel I have liberty to say this because um, born and raised in Wyoming and having started the church in Custer, and I I think I know what I'm talking about, and I think I know what I'm talking about in Australia, and, and the fact is this, I've seen so many people come and go. Come and go, and I remember as a young man growing up, watching preachers come and go from Wyoming, and they came there telling us how they were going to do it, and they went home saying, well, you know, God led me away. No, he didn't. He either didn't lead them there to begin with, or he didn't lead them away. That's not the way God works. Some steadfast-mindedness. Wyomingites and South Dakotaites are pig-headed, hard-headed people. You can throw me out. It's okay. I'm one of you. Australians are pig-headed people. I'm telling you the number of times that that voice in my head said, why don't you just stop and go? I had good men ask me, why would you waste your time here when you could go over to India or Sri Lanka or you could go to the 1040 window and you could teach and use your God-given abilities and oh, how God would use you there. And I told these men, and I love these men, we're still friends, but I said, guys, how can I do anything else than what God has shown me to do? And I'm not into it for the results. Believe me, I've written enough prayer letters that said I hit more kangaroos than led people to Christ over the last six months. And I I hear these prayer letters from guys that say they're leading tens and hundreds to the Lord through the course of a year. And I think, man, can you tone it down a little? It's hard. What am I going to do? Stop? Quit? Try to pretend that the Lord's leading me a different direction because it's difficult? Ruth had the mind that in in spite of all that may lay in front of me, and she had no idea what was coming. In fact, if Ruth knew anything, and I believe she did just based on her character and how she was presenting herself, if she knew this much, she knew that she wasn't even allowed in the nation to the 10th generation and still committed herself to go. It's firmly set her mind. And her steadfast mind is revealed in, verses, in verse number 14. She clave, it says at the end of the verse, she clave unto Naomi. She clave unto her. her. Her mind, having not yet been declared, was revealed in the fact that she said, no, Naomi, you're not getting rid of me. You can almost imagine Naomi going, now let me go and go home. And no, Naomi, I'm, I'm not letting go. I'm going with you. And how about if we did that with the Lord? Maybe a new convert tonight, and and you're going to be faced with that in your life. You're going to be faced with it multiple times in your life about, you know, just maybe you can go home now. Maybe you can go home now, and you need to cleave to the Lord. I am not going back. And I know it happens. And by the way, if you are one and you you end up coming back to the Lord, I really am. I'm your friend. I'm not being critical of you. But let's just not do that to begin with. 
And those that do go away, I want to see them come back. But it would be so much better if they just claimed to the Lord. The second way that it was revealed is in her surrender. Look at verses 15 through 17. Here's what we see. There was surrender in some of the things she said. I already talked about entreat me not. She had no intention of turning back or to stop following. But there's surrender. There's surrender of her will and her liberty. In verse 16, whither thou goest, I will go. She surrendered her liberty and her will to Naomi. If you go there, I'm going there. If you go there, I'm going there. Lord, if you take me there, I'm going there. If you lead me there, I'm going there. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Absolute surrender of life. A surrender of her identity. We talked about when they become called the people of Chemosh. Her identity is a Moabitess of the people of Chemosh. But again, in verse number 16, we read there. She says, for uh, whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Do you understand what she said there? I refuse to be a Moabite from this point forward. I'm not going back. I don't even identify with those people. My friends, my family, my religion, my heritage, my culture, everything about me is surrendered to you, Naomi. That's what I'm going to do. And I think, man, God, give us people like that that will be totally surrendered, will, liberty, identity to who God makes them to be. Not Kevin the Wyomingite anymore. I'm Kevin the believer, the the Christian, what a name. What, what a name. To be called a Christian? What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And to be able to adopt that name, is, it's unbelievable to me. I don't want to turn back. She surrendered her identity. And she surrendered her God. This is why I think that she's a believer. I don't, want the, I don't want Chemosh anymore. I see what Chemosh has to offer. Death, destruction. I've been praying to him all my life. Nothing ever came of it. But you have a God. And I want that God. Then she surrendered her future in verse 17. Where thou diest, I will I die. And, where, and there will I be buried. I don't even care if they plant me back where I came from. We sing that song. I'm sure you've heard it, Bury My Heart on the Mission Field. Now let me say something here. I, I, I need to say this. There are times that God leads someone to a mission field, foreign or at home, domestic, and a time comes when he leads them back to where they came from. And that does happen. But it needs to be the evident hand of God. And in the meantime, you know what our spirit should be? I'll die there. Because that's where God's at. Ruth's steadfast mind moved her forward with no certain outcome. We know that Naomi will be accepted. She's a Jew, she's an Israelite. But Ruth is a forbidden outsider. Five times in the book of Ruth, 
even though she's the kind of woman she is. They knew she was a virtuous woman, but you know how people are. Five times in the book of Ruth, they said, Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. Do you know that they didn't stop calling her the Moabitess until she was married to Boaz? Now she's Ruth, the wife of Boaz. And little did they know she was going to be Ruth, the great, 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 great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what steadfast mindedness will do? God, I commit myself to this thing, to my missions giving, to my going. Can I say that missions will never be to you what God intends for it to be to you till you're actively fulfilling what he's called you to do right where you're at. When you fix your mind on God, you told us that we're to be reaching people both in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. When you get that nailed down, you'll give yourself to missions and missions will just become the greatest privilege of your Christian life. But until you get that nailed down, it will seem to you like nothing more than a program. Nothing more than I do this because I have to do this. Amen to what was said last night. Our missionary endeavor is not one of finances, although finances are needed. Our missionary endeavor is one of fellow laborers, fellow helpers of the truth, Third John. Those of us who are on our journey for His name's sake, who are helped along the way by those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Steadfast mindedness. In my 30 seconds, I'm going to give you the rest of the outline. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, she continued. She continued. And she says there in chapter 2, verse 2, let me go out into the field. Oh, wonderful part of the message, by the way. Let me go out into the field. You know what she did? She committed herself. She didn't just say in her mind, I'm sticking with it. She put action to it. And she went out and she started laboring And she said, I'm going to go see if I can find some grace. And she gets out there and she got far more grace than she had any idea she could receive as a Moabite. She continued. And then she had humility. And you'll read that in chapter 2, verses 10 and following. She had humility when she got that grace from, from Boaz. She bowed down. And get this, the audacity of this lady Thank you, I'm paraphrasing, thank you for the grace you've shown. Will you also give me favor? And I think, man, again, that's how I want to approach the Lord. I want to approach Him by saying, God, thank you for the grace of saving me and letting me be a part of what you're doing in this world. That's wonderful. Will you show me favor? Show me some favor so I can do more. And then she went on and she was submissive. She was submissive. In chapter number three, Naomi directed her on how she was to conduct herself 
at the feet of Boaz. And you know what? She didn't argue. She didn't complain. She just went and did what she was told. You know, again, when it comes to our missions, you know what we need to do? Steadfast mind. Continue in the work. Humble ourselves and submit. Whatever he says, that's what I'm going to do. Then, she had, um, sorry, isn't it terrible when you got to look at your notes because you lost what you were going to say? She had patience. You know what Boaz said to her? I want to be your redeemer, but I don't know if this is going to work out. So just wait. You know what she did? She went home and waited. I can tell you as a missionary in a country that um, is not that open to the gospel. There's a great need of patience. I tell you in Rapid City, there's a great need for patience. And if God gives you the ability to be the giver for those that are carrying the message, be patient. It's not an investment that you're looking for return right now. The return is in heaven. Faces of people. I told you last night I wanted to put faces in front of you. Faces of people that in eternity will say, thank you. Thank you. Les Pedersen, war hero, 93 years old, on his deathbed. The last opportunity his family would give with him, me with him. I almost can't say it without weeping now. Les, it's the last time The last time I can talk to you, Les, would you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you? With all of his strength, just lean up and say, yes. You'll meet Les Pedersen one day. But be patient. Father, it is such a privilege to be a part of what you do. The grace that you've given us to be a part of this thing We're feeble, we're frail, we fail, and you're kind and gracious and merciful. God, would you please work out in the hearts of your people in this church your perfect will. When it comes to the subject of missions, will you please work in them and work through them? And I pray that you'll increase them and their reach far more than they could ever ask or think. In Jesus' name.